Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Melissa Reddy of The Independent, and Dominic Fifield of The Athletic. Sadly, the mentality monsters have turned into tired, tabby cats. The reasons for Liverpool's decline are pretty obvious. They suffered a freakish run of injuries in a uniquely intense season. Fatigue is as much mental as physical. That doesn't prevent us being shocked by their sudden vulnerability at Anfield, where, not to put too fine a point on it, the doors have been kicked in. There'll still be a lot of hype when Manchester City visit on Sunday. You'll be there, Melissa. But is Liverpool's title defence already over? I would rate it as not just in terms of Liverpool's performances, results and injury situation, but when you contrast that to the elite numbers Manchester City have been posting since November. I think, you know, people seem desperate for a title race, but I would be absolutely staggered if Manchester City don't ease to it. And I know in this season, you know, statements have been made to look so ridiculous by each passing match week. We've had... Chelsea being ordained certified favourites for the title. We've had Tottenham go through that period where they held the same status. When Liverpool beat Crystal Palace 7-0, people were saying they'd storm to the title again. But genuinely, what City are doing at the moment, 13 games, winning streak, 33 goals in that run, conceding only three, is just ridiculous. It's it's interesting. I'm sure you won't be want to be reminded of this, Dom. But looking back, that seven nil against Palace almost looks an anomaly at the moment. Liverpool have won only one of seven games against the Premier League's bottom six so far. Does that say it all? Yeah, that that, that fallibility is really surprising, and smacks of an imbalance in the in the team that's been caused by an onerous injury list when you've got your best midfielders filling in at centre-half your your best centre-halves absent altogether and a forward line that has been disrupted as well I mean Sadio Mane was such a massive massive miss against Brighton people talk about his his involvement in the press and how key he is to that but he's just a bloody good player and and scores goals and sets the tone for the entire team and 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 even with a minor muscular problem he's just been his absence has been felt so keenly and yeah I mean look, I, I'm Mel talks about people jumping to conclusions I I was one of those people when 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 Liverpool did what they did to Palace at Sellers Park and w- was so ruthless watching that performance it's inconceivable that a team could struggle in front of goal as badly as they have done since, you know, barring the the performances at Tottenham and West Ham in the in the Premier League, but it's just been it's just just been an imbalance. It's it's people have talked about mental fatigue. I think most teams in the Premier League are struggling on that front at the moment, apart from Manchester City. Manchester City, let's not forget have got their own bad injuries at the moment. They haven't got the best midfielder in the division in Kevin De Bruyne in their team at the moment. They haven't even got a striker of, of any real note. I mean, I know Jesus is, is decent, but he's not Sergio Aguero. And yet they found a way of dealing with it all, largely because they have a, a balance still. 
because they've got a solid foundation in in defence and it's 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 remarkable to see and what what City have done is is incredible and 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 the way that Liverpool have fallen away is equally equally baffling really and and uh, and staggering but uh, yeah it is it is going one way now. What do you think Liverpool's immediate targets will be, Mel? Is it basically to protect a top four place and just throw everything at the Champions League? Top four place is absolutely essential. It dictates everything around the model. It would be just unthinkable for them to not finish in the top four spaces. And, you know, we talk about this game against Manchester City on on Sunday and people will still want to bill it as, you know, a title clash. But honestly, for Liverpool, City are not their immediate threat. It's just holding on to one of those four positions, well, two to four. And if you look around them, the only comfort for Liverpool is that no team has been consistent as City recently. Even Manchester United, who'd gone on a good run, they've had a little bit of a stumble. Obviously, scorching Southampton 9-0, but you know, before that, there wasn't really any consistency over the last five games. And so that is more of a reality for them at the moment, Champions League football. And yeah, doing as as best they can in Europe. We speak about this mental fatigue, and I think Dom's right in saying that that is league-wide because, you know, we've had a sudden spike in injuries. The games are in a condensed period. But I think with Liverpool, the psychological factor also comes from every single match day having a new injury to contend with. And it's quite difficult to say to the players, okay, so this week, Alisson is now added to the absentee list and Sadio Mane. So I need you to give me an extra 10% again. All of you need to raise your games to absorb that loss. Asking them to deal without Virgil van Dijk too, to not let his unavailability be their kryptonite. I think that was already such a huge ask. I remember doing shows, you know, just after his injury. And people were saying that's Liverpool now for the season. And that was just when it was Van Dijk. Since then, <laughs> the misfortune with injuries has only multiplied to, multiplied to a ridiculous level. And you can see that they're struggling so much. The, the word Dom used there was balance. And that's right, because the system is just falling apart. Yeah, despite the best efforts of, of, of yeomen like you know, Henderson and Milner, if we look at the squad as a whole, Dom, and you know, football moves at the speed of light, so in many ways some of us are already looking ahead to see how this squad will evolve. It looked to me that there are some obvious, not passengers, that would be too unkind, but people who probably have served their purpose in many ways. I'm thinking of Origi, Oxlade-Chamberlain. You've got players like Cater, Matip, who basically just missed too many games to be a, a viable option that you can trust. How do you see this squad evolving? And will that require the sort of investment that Liverpool, or more specifically their board owners, were very reluctant to do in, in January? I think they, they operate quite shrewdly in the market, and I don't see why that, that would change. I mean, it's not as if the the, the economics of the the world are going to suddenly be back to normal, so to speak, in the summer window. So Liverpool may be able to exploit, say, I don't know, the French market, let's say. I mean, the, 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 a French market that is depressed and 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 has, is suffering because of its the, the collapse of its, I mean, its media rights. There are bargains to be had out there. I mean, Liverpool, they will, they will expect more from the likes of, say Tiago, for example, next season, his second season at, at the club, he'll be more hopefully within a in a rhythm of of, of games. He'll he won't be quite as much of a, a shock to his system to to be in a new league. And and look, they didn't they didn't break the bank to get him. If they if they brought in a, a player of Tiago's caliber in the summer to add to their to their to their ranks, then for that type of price, I think we'd all be. Marveling at their how how brilliant they are in the in the market as well, and we we don't know 
you know, what impact the likes of Quebec are going to have, you know, in the long term at Liverpool. Are they going? Are they going to be pursued? Are they? Are they? Are they going to? Is he going to justify his, you know, the, the the price tag that was on his head, you know, as as recently as last October, November, when he was a thirty million euro centre half, apparently. I mean, I wouldn't be be panicking. It's is this. Is, Liverpool evolve and they've they've done it very very cleverly uh, over time. They're not going to be ripping up their their uh, approach. I wouldn't have thought overnight just because this has been a very very difficult season. Because it has been a very very difficult season for everyone. I mean, even City are going to have to to rebuild in the summer, I and mean, they're going to have to bring in a striker. You'd imagine at some point. So it's these are issues that are going to everybody are going to address and Liverpool are still in a wonderful wonderful position they've still got great great quality in their squad and, and next season fingers crossed please is going to be more normal it's not going to be the same rush of games it's not going to be as intense as it as this is and it's hopefully going to be played out with with supporters hollering Liverpool on from the cop again I mean it's these are these are these are big factors so I wouldn't be panicking too much I don't it's not it's not time for them to suddenly rip up the model that model has worked it was brilliant they've been absolutely superb for two three years the mental fatigue that that, that keeps coming up I mean maybe that's born of the fact that their, their levels have been so high for the last few seasons you know getting virtually 100 points every season yielding that 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 first title since since 1990 and those you know even a slight dip in those standards and, and City are straight at you and overtake you you're you're very close to the club, Mel. What do you think the uh, January transfer window said about Liverpool? You know, speaking to to some scouts, the consensus about Ben Davis is that he'll probably become an effective Premier League central defender. They're probably not quite top four. You know, you can see that in about a year's time, him being sold on for say five million pounds. So people, you know, everyone benefits from that. Ozan Kabak. Is he in, in effect? Is he having a subsidised long-term trial at the moment? So what sort of mood music do you get from the boardroom at the moment? I think one thing Liverpool have been quite insistent on is not deviating from the principles that have helped make them successful. And, you know, they're willing to evolve and stuff, but not abandon. And... For the longest time from last season already, when it was apparent the financial implications COVID would have, they were saying we have to be clever and measured about how we move forward as a football club, as a business, you know, trying to keep people in jobs and all these things. We know, you know, the reaction to them planning to furlough staff and and having to reverse that decision. So there was a lot of thinking, holistic thinking going on, not just in terms of recruitment, but how the club functions as a whole post this pandemic. Transfer-wise, in October, when Virgil van Dijk got injured, you know, the automatic thing for a football club is to think the, the, our one banker in central defence is now gone. And he was, you know, they let Dan Lovren go in the summer because the thinking was, yes, Joe Gomez and Joel Mata miss games here and there, but Verge is always there. So you have one of them to partner him, and then you've got Fabinho who can operate as the fourth choice defender. When Virgil got injured, you didn't just lose him as a player and as a figure, but you lost the approach because now, you know, your anchor there is gone. And when they said you don't just go into the market and replace Van Dyke, you understood that because if it was easy to buy a player like Virgil, everybody would be doing it, you know? And a club would have more than one of that kind of a figure. And then when Gomez gets injured in November, you're thinking, oh, Liverpool, you, you're going to have to. Like, regardless of what you're saying about not wanting to invest in January, maybe to not let the you know other clubs know, selling clubs know that you're desperate for defenders and, and try and fleece you. But you thought you, you just have to early on in the window strike, and they didn't. 
And that's because they were still looking for availability, affordability, and not ruining their long-term picture. And I think ultimately, they've come to a decent solution where they've got two players who haven't reached their ceiling yet, who can do a job for the next six months. How those two fare, we don't know. The fact, though, that they were looking at longer-term options at the end of the window, like Kaleta Car from Marseille. If they had done tried to get him in two weeks earlier, that deal probably would have gone through. The only reason it didn't is because Marseille didn't have time to find a replacement. So you can understand why they want to stick to their principles, but also you're looking at the situation and thinking, this is not even about defending the title anymore. This is about making sure you cement a top four position. And I think it showed, one, the fact that they are unswerving about those principles, but two, that when push comes to shove, they still manage to find some kind of solution, even with time running out. I suppose by contrast, Dom, there's an ominous serenity about City there were no dramas in the window other than Eric Garcia's off to play for Barcelona for nothing, and that was being rejected. No Aguero on Sunday, which points up your point, doesn't it, that um, they do need some reinforcement up front. just want to look at a couple of familiar figures. Raheem Sterling, 400 senior appearances now at 26. A bit like De Bruyne, do we take his excellence for granted? Probably, Probably just just because he's a constant there now, and and yeah, he is his 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 levels don't seem to dip. Although he might be self critical in terms of the, the chances he misses. Still, I, I wonder whether there's an element of, of of he wonders whether he's slightly profligate in front of goal at times. Um, but I suppose if you if, if if you're in a team that creates as many chances as City do, then and you've got moreover the a, a defense that is so miserly behind you then it, it it doesn't really matter it's it's you can get by but yeah he's 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 excellent his versatility is is superb and benefits city so much in a period where they they're having to be slightly more fluid in terms of their structure up front you know with without a a recognised out and out striker in the, in the lineup. They've they've tried various different options in that sort of whether it be a false nine or you know De Bruyne playing there for a while and and Sterling's always capable of of doing a job there. But I mean even at Burnley that was it, it was a tap in that he scored from from Gundogan's cross. But he had to make that darting run. He had to get in there, and Gundogan knew that, that Sterling would be making that run into into the six yard box and wouldn't be tracked because he's so elusive and so quick and so clever with his movement. So yeah, his his excellence is is almost taken for granted, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Gundogan there. Seven goals and one assist in his last ten games, which tells you that he's reasserting his influence and nothing else. Yeah, phenomenal, isn't he? Yeah, unbelievable. Talking of unbelievable, Manchester United, Mel, do we read anything into that 9-0 over Southampton? It's obviously, psychologically, such a big boost for them. It is on a, on an individual level for somebody like Anthony Martial, you know, quite important, I think, for his recent form. But... From a performance perspective and a panorama, I don't think coaching staff or anything will see beyond it being a very ruthless performance, accomplished performance against a team whose plan went out the window two minutes in that were already already weakened by their injuries coming into the game, were on a bad run of form. And things just got progressively worse for Southampton. So I, I think for United, just on a, on a superficial level or on a top layer level, it's good. It, it reinvigorates their, their feeling that they are title contenders, that they can last the distance. But in all other respects, if they're drawing 
too many conclusions from that, I don't think it would be helpful. No, I suppose. Well, you look at that game, Dom. The one thing I think stood out for me beyond all the goals was Luke Shaw. His improvement is, is testament to his character as much as anything, isn't it? Yeah, and he only played half the game. Mm. Um, he's he, he, he just shows what, what happens when you when you're physically fit. I think Luke Shaw, Luke Shaw probably suffered the uh, longer term effects that maybe we didn't take into account properly from that horrific injury when he shattered his leg a few few seasons back, and it's it's taken him a while to to get back into into prime shape. He's obviously benefited from. Maybe he's benefited from actually being pushed by Alex Tellis and having Alex Tellis at the club and 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 having the backing of Onigala Solskjaer as well. But I think when you've got United's fullbacks have are often quite maligned. I mean, they're often criticised because they're not, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold or 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 Andrew Robertson. Actually, to be honest, it's it's probably just a direct comparison with those down the East Langs Road. To be honest, but it's I think Wambasaka is. One on one, still the arguably the the best fullback in the country for one on one defending. People have have, have latched upon his his output to, in in the attacking third, and actually, he, I think he's getting better and better at that. And, and bear in mind, this is a this is a a kid who was a winger back in his youth, so it should those qualities should come through eventually. And, and he he scored a goal and set up others that against Southampton and and sure on the other side is is providing that again that her balance I mean they they just provide a threat down either flank they're both good defenders they're both in form in rhythm and they are the constants in in that United back line and and it just it just benefits it just benefits the team just just having a bit of solidity there and knowing Knowing what your teammates are doing, and just knowing what the type of movement—that's that's one of the reasons that Liverpool was so outstanding last year. They just had a, a continuity in that backline. Everybody knew their role. Everybody knew the roles of midfield as well. And and and, and United's backline—you could argue—has has been more like that this season. It's not consistent. I mean, this time last week we were digesting a home defeat to Sheffield United, but but there has been improvement in that in that respect. And you know they're making progress and you'd, you'd imagine that that progress will, will be maintained beyond the end of this season. Marcus Rashford on Tuesday night overtook Eric Cantona in terms of goals, at least. Mel, you know, there's been a lot said and written about him and he's had an avalanche of understandable and uh, fully deserved praise for his, uh, what I would call a holistic approach to life. Do you think eventually he's good, he is a different type of folk hero to someone like Cantona? But do you think eventually he'll be he'll be more cherished at United than Cantona, almost a sort of Bobby Charlton figure? I don't know if he will, but I hope that's the case. I think oftentimes with with previous cult heroes, it's the nostalgia that you know keeps them alive and and it just lingers and it always feels hard to compare anyone now to what came before i i think that's just human nature but in terms of rashford coming through the academy being a local boy giving so much to the club in terms of his footballing ability but his social conscious is remarkable and I think United as well benefit from having someone like him who's so tuned into the community tuned into what's going on in the world and he's making such a big difference you know we often talk about game changes and when we say that we talk about stuff on the pitch but he is and this is no exaggeration. He's changing the lives of millions for the better on, on a daily basis. And I don't think there's any way you you frame that and it isn't bigger than football. That's true. We have to talk about football. And we like talking about it to a point. Everton. At Old Trafford on, on Saturday, Dom, they arrive having won four away games 
on the bounce for the first time since 1985 in what I suppose we're obliged to refer to as the top flight. Is Carlo Ancelotti just quietly building a a team capable of uh, making a a dash at the top four? Well, they are within touching distance of it. They've got a couple of games in hand on fourth place Liverpool and they're, they're four points back. So mathematically, yes, I, I, they they just feel a bit like a work in progress still, as a whole. But I, I have I have to say he's, he's done a he's done a superb job there, and I know they've had their their incons- own inconsistencies this season. They started off like a train and then tailed off badly, and then and then they recovered again, and they're more than capable of throwing in the odd aberration as as that performance against Newcastle at the weekend. But but to see them compete in a, such a frenetic game uh, at Ellen Road in in midweek and 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 the way that they they found a uh, found a, a means of of getting past of coping with Leeds sort of furious energy and prevailing that night does bode well for them there's a, there's a canniness to them there's a there's a steeliness to them which is which is quite admirable and you know when you when you've got a James Rodriguez that you can throw in yeah, or in his absence, you can have Gilfie Sigurdsson reveling again in, in that number ten position. I think there's a lot going right there, but it feels like something that is a project that's that's going to need to keep. They're going to have to keep developing. They're going to have to keep improving. They're going to have to use every transfer window to to take them themselves up to the next level and to and to plan for the for the longer term. I, I, I just I love Carlo Ancelotti. I've always loved Carlo Ancelotti from his days at Chelsea. That uh, wonderful eyebrow of his, um, <laughs> but he's he, the, the bloke is is brilliant at what he does. He's absolutely brilliant at what he does. Yeah, he he probably does hit ceilings at, at at the clubs that he's managing at, but I don't think he's anywhere close to the ceiling at Everton yet. I mean, he can still take that that team and that club up a notch or two. And I just thought it was I just thought it was wonderful that in midweek that you had. Ancelotti and Bielsa on the touchline in the Premier League and 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 the way they they greeted themselves before the match the way that they reacted after the game as well I just thought that's you know as an advert for the Premier League that was that was just superb the nostalgia and the mystique of it all I just thought was was it sums it up that's 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 great to see I just wish there were supporters there to actually revel in it as well yeah you're right it was a proper match as well wasn't it what about Leicester Mel they're at Wolves on Sunday all managers talk up their players, don't they? And I thought Brendan Rodgers was correct in talking up James Madison. He talked about the assist for the first goal on, on Wednesday by basically saying, look, if that had been De Bruyne, everyone would be talking about it. You know, his second assist wasn't bad either. Six goals, six assists in his last 12 games. He's taking his game to another level, isn't he? He is. And I thought it was so interesting that he said he'd actually sat down with the analysts for extended periods of time and thought about not just where his game needed work, but how much he needed to put in to it and what little movements and stuff he could change to ensure that he was getting more goals and being more decisive in the final third. And, you know, he took that on board, having watched a Monday night football, getting criticism from Jamie Carragher, who said in order for him to be spoken about, you know, as Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Kevin De Bruyne does and stuff, he has to produce regularly. He has to be able to, to be the difference. And he's shown that he can be. And what I like about him is he's got a very good arrogance slash confidence that is evident in his play but it is married with proper grasp. He's not scared to put a shift in. He's not scared to get stuck in. And he actually, he wants to, to dominate a game. He wants to decorate a game. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to. And I just think him taking on board criticism, working on it, sitting and devising a way forward with the manager, it all just bodes well, not just for Leicester, but for his career in general, because you want to see that kind of drive. Speaking of drive, Dom, James Justin, 
you know, in his what first season or certainly second season since Luke coming from Luton, only 22, yet another England right back in the making. But he's quite versatile as well. He's he's a heck of a player, isn't he? What what a player! What a what what progress he's made! And and look, Leicester did brilliantly well to to spot his his talent and and to bring him in. But let's let's pay credit here to Luton Town's academy as well, who have produced some amazing players in in recent times. And and not a lot of them have have they they haven't retained that as many as they they would like. But 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 James Justin, he is a phenomenon, right back, left back. He could probably do a job in cent- at centre half. He could probably do a job across midfield. To be honest, he's got the energy. He's got the vision. The the the, the very fact that for that for that second goal at um, Craven Cottage, the fact that that James Madison can accept the pass from Iniacho, wriggle into the box, look up, and it's the the, the left back who has who has burst upfield, bypassed the entire Fulham flank. And and marauded into the box to collect the pass in front of goal, and then calmly just take it round the goalkeeper, you know, without batting an eyelid. This is something he does as as a natural piece of skill. The 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 kid is, the kid's going places, and he's got he's got everything. He he could be he could he could fill in at either side at fullback for England in the summer probably, and he the the fact that he has that versatility will make him very very attractive for Gareth Southgate in a tournament situation. Mm. Looking at the other top four contenders, Mel, Spurs and Chelsea uh, meet on Thursday night. We spoke about Liverpool and the need to adapt. Do you think Spurs' lack of adaptability is one of the most significant factors in their, I suppose, what we could call a relative underachievement? Definitely. When they were being billed as title contenders, title favourites, it was hinged off two things. One, you know, the statement that Jose Mourinho is a proven winner, which gets used so often. And the other was the the partnership of Kane and Son. And ultimately, you looked at it and you thought, if if one of those two or, or both of those two are unavailable for whatever reason, Spurs have an issue. If they aren't given the space to play on the counter or the ability to play on the counter, they have an issue. If they defend deep for large parts of the game, having scored first, they're going to have an issue. And all these things we see now materialising. With Tottenham, though, and I go back to Pochettino's time there, The issue was that squad was asked to always, you know, meet and exceed expectations. They were performing miracles under his watch, considering what he found them as, what he turned them to. But there was never that refresh that he called for since 2016. And finally, in the summer before they sacked him, they did bring in new players too late in the window, though. And now we're seeing still a consequence of just not evolving over time in terms of building that squad. And as a result of that as well, you now have an inflexible approach on the pitch. Part of that is, you know, from the manager. Part of that is what he has to work with. In saying that, though, you've got a player there in Delhi Ali who we've seen be one of the best players in this league, one of the best players for his country. And you're wondering, okay, you need other options. You need some dynamism. You've got the player there. You know, it's your job now, whatever the issue is, and, and there are a few, to bring out the best of him. He is a tool for you to use. Yeah, well, you you know Jose Mourinho well, especially from his time at Chelsea, Dom. It was interesting. The perception is probably quite rightly that that Deli Ali was the biggest loser in the transfer window. Didn't get his move to PSG. Do you think there's any way back for him? I know Mourinho was talking about yeah, we found common ground, but is that just PR platitudes? 
I would be surprised if if he became a regular again whilst Jose Mourinho was was still was at Spurs. Um, you know, they have sort of set it up now with this meeting that took place earlier this week, post deadline, to allow him to you know potentially get back into the into the into the frame bear in mind this is a player that hasn't started a Premier League game since the first weekend of the season I mean that is the extent of his fall from grace from the player that we saw in the Amazon documentary last season the one one of the first he, he and Kane were the first two players that Mourinho sought to court at at the club and, and went on side I, I just it feels as if the schism is too is too deep and Whatever suspicions that Mourinho has about Deli Ali, I don't think I think they're probably too deep rooted. I, I I suspect they won't go away. I suspect that the first poor performance that, that or anemic performance or even rusty performance that Deli Ali provides will be latched upon again by the by the coach and he, he's almost playing too much of a game of catch up in in in, in terms of his reputation with 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 the management and i I'd, I'd be very surprised if there is a, a route back under this structure but you know come the end of the season depending on how it how it goes then it, you never know maybe the club looking at are looking in a different way in terms of the coaching staff anyway so in that respect there might be an opportunity for for Deli Alley to still have a future at Tottenham, it just may not be a future at Tottenham under Jose Mourinho. Yeah, well, I, you know, I look at it and think if I'm a, another Premier League manager in the summer, I would more than happily spend someone else's money on someone like Deli Alley who has something to prove. You always have things to prove at Chelsea, Mel. Thomas Tuchel is talking about academy players being key to the club's identity again is a bit like Mourinho is that just another PR line I think that's kind of what he has to say given you know everything that happened around his arrival people felt that when Lampard went there goes the commitment to academy graduates where Lampard himself had said I did not want Chelsea to become an academy team I wanted us to invest I was happy with the investment we made in the summer. Um, so that's one part I think he has to, but Tuchel's, the basis of his career has been developing young talents. And when you speak to people that have worked quite closely with him in Germany, academy football is, is where his love still lies. It's where he was happiest in the job. And you look at what he did at Dortmund with some of the players there. He, he definitely, definitely improves players that have high ceilings. He helps them achieve their full potential. I think it's quite disappointing, uh, some of the rhetoric we've had around him, because this is a man with, you know, I think nearly two decades of experience in management at at, le- at whatever level, uh, starting from the youth level. And he's been spoken about as, you know, Chelsea bringing in some, some shiny new thing. And he isn't really, I can understand the attraction of bringing him in. For me, the only issue has been, he is a remarkable tactician. Everybody that's worked with him says, you know, on the training ground, unbelievable. Finding solutions to to football problems, unbelievable. But he's very, very difficult to work with and and falls out with people. So that would be the only question mark there at a club that's already quite combustible. Um, But I I think the players Chelsea have, and I keep hammering on this point, but the squad is, is an absolute gift. It's a treat for a manager to work with, especially a manager that enjoys maximizing, you know, potential young talent. And I think it's a very good marriage. At PSG, he sort of had to temper his philosophy because there were so many egos and you don't really ask Neymar to track back and, you know, you don't tell him about 
uh, <laughs> what to do without the ball, really. <laughs> but at Chelsea, he's got more scope to play the kind of football he he really wants to. That's a really good point from Mel there, you know, because because we've we've. We've said when we were talking about the the end of the Lampard tenure, one of the points that was made consistently is that Chelsea don't have natural leaders in the way that that, that Lampard's team, when he was a player, had you know, the Czechs, the Drogba's, the Terry's, and the and, and Lampard and the like. This Chelsea team doesn't have that. If the if the if the closest thing they've got to a leader is Antonio Rudiger or Jorginho, then we're not we're not talking the same level of personality here. So so Tuchel can come in and make them exactly what he wants to. I mean, it's it's not an issue there. They're, they're, he won't. Have, it's not the same ego ego problem that he had at PSG at all. I mean, literally not at all. And the the quality, the the, the quality they have. If arguably they've got one too many too many attacking players, uh, talented players in that in that squad, and that's a great position to be in at this season of all seasons. They don't have any injuries. I mean, Golo Conte has been had a hamstring problem recently, but he's back now. They, he's got a squad of 24, 25 first team players who are top quality. Yes, as a you know, he might have too many in certain areas, and that that creates problems, and it created problems for his predecessor. But his predecessor was less experienced than he is at dealing with stuff like that. I, I agree completely with Mel. He is, he's got such an opportunity here, and that's probably why. He keeps referring to it as this, this unbelievable Christmas present dropping on his in his lap because he didn't anticipate having this this kind of opportunity so soon after PSG. Yeah, it might take him a few weeks to get rid of all the wrapping paper there, but yeah, I, I agree with that. Chelsea have got Sheffield United at the weekend. Spurs have got West Bromwich Albion. Mel, as I said, you were at Anfield on on Wednesday night with Brighton's win. Was that a tipping point? Was that night a tipping point? at the bottom, do you think? You know what? Sometimes you watch teams and you have no idea how they are, where they are. And Brighton are one of those who you look at the performances, you look at the football they can play, you look at how disciplined they are and what a clarity of vision they have as a team. And you're thinking, why? It's it's staggering. And... You know, obviously, it's that they lack sometimes that decisive 10% in the final third, or despite how disciplined their performances can be, when they do switch off for, you know, a few seconds, they get they get hurt in that time. But they're a very, very good football side who have done some remarkable recruitment. And I had the same feeling with Aston Villa last year where I'd watch them and I think you guys are a really good football team and just just that little bit more fortune would be so helpful, which they did finally get with that with the goal line technology not working. Um, <laughs> but, but I think just if if the league table was dictated on on performances and potential of performances Brighton would be a lot higher than they are yeah well is it fourth consecutive Premier League clean sheet against Liverpool I thought Adam Webster and Lewis Dunk at the back were terrific looks like there could be an injury to Solly March I suppose the Brighton dilemma Dom is that they can almost be too good for their own good this season that it'll alert bigger clubs with bigger pockets to players like Basuma, for instance. Well, let's 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 be realistic. Clubs know that he's good. They they know this already, and it will take top dollar to to get him out of there. And you know what? I, Brighton shouldn't be worried about that because they're a club that, off the field, are, are completely reliant upon Tony Bloom. They just you know the, the the level of debt that they recorded and and the loss that they recorded in their last accounts show that they are reliant upon Tony Bloom, particularly during a pandemic. And if somebody came in with a 40, 45 million pound offer for Yves Basuma, then they would they would look at it as a as as a means of of yeah, of reinvesting that money and, and, and keeping the business ticking over. That's how that's how football clubs should be operating. 
at that level outside the, the the elite elite in the in the Premier League that is that is how they should do it I mean more clubs should should be doing that you, you're sort of belatedly seeing the lights of Crystal Palace working out that actually it's not so good to to hire a Christian Benteke and a Mamadou Sacco here and then losing them for nothing in the under freedom of contract in the summer spent 30 million pound on each and given them six figures a week wages for the last five years but actually it's probably best to, to buy an Iberici Eze, have him for two years and sell him on at three times as much as you bought him for. That is how they should be functioning. That is that is how clubs that, of, of that stature and that level progress. So Brighton shouldn't be worried about that. If Eve Basuma leaves Brighton for £50 million, then Brighton have done bloody well by him and they've probably benefited in terms of their league position with him in the side. And, and they're shrewd enough and canny enough to, to reinvest the money. And and bring the next Eve Basuma through. That there's 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 a lot going right at that club in terms of recruitment, in terms of infrastructure. We 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 know that. You just have to look at the uh, the MX Stadium and the, and the Lansing Training Complex. Uh, that they, they they've come on leaps and bounds in in recent seasons. And the last four games, w- weirdly, you could probably level the same criticisms at them in terms of their output in the final third. They've still missed chances. They've only scored one goal at most in those four matches, but but when they've got their defenders on song at the other end, and there's a that tight unit led by Lewis Dunk with Webster, with Byrne contributing, March has been contributing as well, with White, you know, even operating in midfield and just providing this this safety blanket. Really, they can keep clean sheets, and four clean sheets on the bounce sums it up. That's that's the improvement that they've made that's transformed a, a long, long winless run that had stretched, I think it was one win they'd had since September prior to this little burst of, of, of results they've had. And that's what's thrust them clear of trouble. And going back to your original problem, I think probably has condemned the bottom three to, to relegation because it's hard to see any of those those teams at the bottom, including... Sheffield United, despite this little flurry of results that they've had, eating into that chasm between them and 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 seventeenth place Burnley, I think is it at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and Newcastle just above them. You know, West Ham are at Fulham at the weekend. Mel, what do you make of um, Jesse Lingard? Two goals on his debut for West Ham, but a completely, truly embarrassing celebration. Is an enigma, isn't he? You know what. I think you've got to give it to Jesse Lingard for so <laughs> persisting to be himself. What was, what was what was going on with that tongue, by the way? That was ridiculous. Yeah, I know, I know. Family <laughs> full of Manchester United fans and some of my best friends and stuff are Manchester United fans. And he used to infuriate them so much because you see the bags of ability and you think to yourself ah you know you you have this hope that you're going to finally see it all light up and and what you do you get then is silly celebrations and dances and all those things but I I think we forget that these players are people as well and they've all got their own personalities and not everyone can be Harry Kane and Jordan Henderson and he was signed at West Ham to to give them a bit extra. And I think two goals, giving them that, he can celebrate whatever way he wants afterwards. It's always nice when players have had a really tough time and they go into a new environment and it suits them and they do well. And I hope that continues for him. Yeah, yeah, you have to say that David Moyes has done an absolutely brilliant job at West Ham. Who, you know, who knows? You know, they they basically fulfilled their objective this season, and they could have a, a good run at a European place. Dom, I suppose only an implosion by Newcastle can rescue any of that bottom three. Newcastle have got Southampton on Saturday uh, at St James's. What sort of reaction do you expect from that 9-0 well they 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 have recent experience of of, of how to recover <laughs> but, but i suspect what they really need is is bodies back uh, exper- you know getting their their, their seasons old, elder heads back in on the pitch and that could be some while off yet 
and in that respect that the the sort of brutal nature of this season may mean that the, the recovery the immediate recovery from that from that 9-0 might might take a bit of time that's that said i i i guess playing a, a wildly inconsistent newcastle team might be an easy way for them to get back into some kind of rhythm for for Southampton. I, I, it's it's so difficult to tell because you just Newcastle didn't actually play that badly on Tuesday night, and they obviously did well at, at Goodison at the weekend. But you know, you take their form previously, and th- th- there's a fragility there that that normally speaking, Southampton would 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 be confident they would exploit. But but with with sort of a lack of resources at the moment and and their own injury problems and now suspension for a, a couple of players. It, Hassan Hootl has got to to juggle his resources as best he can to, just to try and spur some kind of reaction. At, at least at least they're recovering from from an excellent first half of the season. Then from the basis of, of upper mid table or mid table now, they're not they're not quite in the same dire straits as they were at the beginning of was it last season when they got hammered nine nil at home by Leicester? I mean that that was that was them at their lowest ebb, and 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 they looked like a relegation haunted team at the, at, the, at that point, and they they recovered from that. Now now that's it's that they're safe, they're safe. They're nowhere near a relegation struggle. They 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 can take their time as much as they can to get these people back in and 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 bring the confidence up. And Hassan Hootler will do that. He's he's an outstanding coach it was it was it was freakish circumstances really that contrived to to do them at Old Trafford and you just you just look at it and think yeah he'll he'll know how to to restore confidence in time once he has his players back on the pitch yeah broader question for you Mel is one of player welfare specifically protecting Alex Yankovic you know being sent off within two minutes at Old Trafford was traumatic enough, then depressingly, he had to deal with the accompanying racial abuse. So much for the the thought, you know, the idealistic thought that the climate would be more forgiving in, in a pandemic. It's bewildering how, and you see this every day when you log on to social media, how cruel and unkind and toxic people can be even when we're dealing with a situation that is so hard for everyone to try and get through. So, you know, maybe that's just enhancing people's frustrations where they're taking it out even more (laughs) on Mm. others. And what you say is so true. Imagine how he would have felt being so desperate to, you know, have a good impression on debut, get sent off two minutes in, see his team completely capitulate and lose 9-0 with him wearing that entirely. And then to be abused afterwards because of the color of his skin. Uh, People always say, you know, they're footballers, they get paid really well, they have these really good lifestyles. I'll trade that and I'll take the abuse. And I can tell you there isn't, if, if there was some way to actually prove that, if there was some billionaire who is willing to give people money to be consistently racially abused or abused in whatever way on a daily basis, you will understand that there is no protection, there's no amount, there's no figure financially, there's no amount of fame, there's no house big enough or anything like that to stop you having human emotions, to stop you feeling things that any ordinary person would. And I think clubs, and a lot of them do have player care departments and stuff, but they have to do so much more to help because uh, when I speak to to experienced players now, and Adam Lalana made a really good point on on Between the Lines, the podcast that I do, he said, kids now, like when you're 17 years old, you're having to behave like a 27-year-old because of social media, because of, you know, being in the public eye now more. 
Whereas he was allowed to really have a childhood. He was allowed to make mistakes as he was coming through to be a professional footballer. You don't get that now. You you get 21-year-olds having to be like, you know, already at James Milner's level of uh, professionality and experience and stuff. And it's it's really hard to do that. Yeah, well said. Final point, Dom. Southampton are asking not to be refereed by certain individuals, in their case, Mike Dean and Leo Mason. Has the standard of refereeing, because that that does point up a a fundamental lack of confidence, doesn't it? Has the standard of refereeing ever been worse? I I suspect that it's not the standard of refereeing. I suspect suspect it's because of it's being highlighted more by with, with VAR and quite frankly, some of the more ludicrous laws. Do we call them laws or rules? I always got that wrong. I think it's laws, isn't it? Laws, Law, yeah. laws of the game that... that um, quite a few asses among those laws at the moment. Just just a bit. And and you know what? Games like the one at Old Trafford and um, what Bednarek in particular um, was subjected to, the sort of triple jeopardy of, of you know, denying us a, a goal-scoring opportunity inadvertently as he's trying to get out of the way of a player effectively and then that that leads to a red card a penalty and a suspension is is bizarre i mean it's 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 just ludicrous and and i think i think less i think we should i think we should have a certain amount of faith with the actual referees themselves i think they're being completely undermined by by the laws of the game and the fact that that, that var which at times looks as if it's the interpretation of 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 how that the VAR is looking at certain incidents you know i i, I don't I, I don't know whether the lines that we see on on the television broadcast are necessarily the same lines the same thickness the, precisely the same lines that the VAR is looking at i mean it, it seems hard sometimes to to really contend that they that they are the same but all that is sort of fueling this suspicion that the that standards have have dropped and and it's purely because it's because the new system VAR and the, and and the laws are undermining what the officials are doing out on the pitch i i still marvel at some of the brilliant decisions that are made the offside decisions which at the naked eye you're thinking oh he's you know he's miles onside or he's miles offside and actually when you when you slow it down you see and 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 to work out how a linesman or an assistant referee is has has you know seen where the ball's been played and and watched along the line as well. I think it's it's incredible what these guys do, but they're on a hiding to nothing at the moment, and and the scrutiny will not go away, and and it needs to be it needs to be looked at by IFAB. It needs David Ellery to to acknowledge that there's an issue here, there's a problem here. They have they have to address this because otherwise this 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 the suspicion will see more clubs taking it out on referees um like Southampton are intimating with with Mason and and Dean yeah well I'll end with a confession I missed Manchester United's last five goals on Tuesday night for the first time I switched off the TV because I basically had enough of VAR's micromanagement Where are we going with all this? I fear to the point where many fans will turn their back on the sport. Football's a habit, a wonderful habit, but one that's in danger of being broken. We need reminders of its joy. We need a refresher course in the sense of wonder it can create. Instead, it's being shaped by a bunch of traffic wardens. Do you agree? Please let me know. In the meantime, thanks to Melissa and Dom and to you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 